Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the message. All right. Well, as you know, we are in the book of Colossians or the letter of Colossians, and we're starting chapter three today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, last week I was intending to, actually last week we were we were out because of the holiday, but the week before that I was, I think, is that right? Yeah. But the week before that I was supposed to cover this lesson, but I felt compelled to teach a lesson essentially on holiness and our obedience to the word. And so we're back to Colossians this week. If you didn't hear that lesson, um, I encourage you to go listen to it on SoundCloud or YouTube or the different places that we put that stuff. Uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I think it was a good timely word, not just for our church, but for the church. And so um, take the time. Uh, today, though, we're going we're gonna to teach starting in chapter 3 of Colossians. Let me, let me read the four verses that I'm going to talk to you out of today. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeping, seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen. Let me tell you, there's a lot of good promises there that should bring us comfort. Um, but let me talk to you first as a matter of introduction about verse 1, because I believe that's what Paul's doing. He's, introdu he's introducing a new train of thought starting in chapter 3, or what we know as chapter 3. Uh, he moves from spiritual truth to uh, practical application. And Paul does this in most of his writings. He'll, he'll talk about the spiritual truth of who you are because of Christ Jesus and what Christ Jesus did and all of these things. You'll see it most prominently, I think, in Romans. Uh, Romans 1 through 11 talks about theology and systematic theology. He kind of just runs through everything. And then starting in verse 12 or chapter 12, he starts talking about, okay, now that you have all of this truth, now that you understand who you are, now that you understand that in this case, Christ is enough, let me give you practical application as to who you should be because of the truth you've been told. And let me tell you, that's important. I could tell you all day just information about spiritual truth, but if I don't teach and I don't show and declare how to use that practically in your own life, you're missing a huge piece. Because most of us, we'd walk out of church going, well, that was, that was good information to have, but what am I supposed to do with it? Paul never leaves us asking, what should we do with this information? He always has a pivot point or a hinge from one place to the next where he moves from the spiritual reality to the practical application, and that's what he's done here. Um, but in three one, he says this. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Let me start with this. 
Paul is talking to believers. If you'll turn to chapter 1, at the very beginning, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And so he says, it's me. I have the authority to talk to you. And then he says, who am I talking? He essentially declares who he's talking to. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so he's saying, listen, I'm talking to believers. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at this verse and where it says if, really what he's saying is because. Because he's talking to believers. He's not asking if you're saved. He's talking to believers. This is the reason why he addressed the letter the way that he did in the first place. So if you read that in a because sense, you'd say, therefore, because you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Because all of the truths that I've declared to you are true in Christ Jesus, that he is enough, that his grace is enough, that his sacrifice was enough to cause you to be raised from who you were to who you are now. Listen to me. I need you to keep seeking. Everybody say, keep seeking. The things above. We get so comfortable and confident in the things that we knew, we become irrelevant. Because we end up saying, man, I, and I've seen this a thousand times, I strive not to be that person, but I'm sure at some point I have been. We have to continually move in our progression towards holiness, our understanding of the Word, our pursuit of God. We have to move and not grow complacent. And so he's telling them, keep seeking. Listen, you might be the greatest theologian in this room. I'm certain that I'm not. Um, but if you are, you're not the greatest theologian that ever existed. And there's more of God that can be revealed to you. So keep seeking. Yeah. If you're comfortable, you're already irrelevant. Yeah. And so keep seeking. Paul's saying, listen, because you've been, yeah. because you've been in Christ Jesus, raised up, keep seeking. And so this is less a part of the teaching and more of a know who you are. And because of who you are, keep seeking who made you that. Yeah. And so he, he begins with that. And he says, so let me go back to it. He says, therefore, because, and I'm just going to use because, the word is if though, because you have been raised up with Christ, that is because of Christ Jesus extending grace to you through faith, you've been saved. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What's he saying? He's saying, stop focusing on your physical life. Start worrying about your spiritual life. Because Christ isn't in your physical life. He's in your spiritual life, which transfers to your physical life. You want to worry about your condition, your situation, focus on Jesus. Jesus will get you out of your situation. Everybody all right? I want to make sure I'm, I'm not moving too fast or talking too fast because I have a tendency to do that when I've got a lot to say. Um, which is more often than it should be probably. But I need us to understand that our situation physically shouldn't be dominated by what's going on in our world physically. It should be based on who we are in Christ Jesus because we have been raised with Him. Stop focusing on your problem. Start focusing on the problem solver. Amen? And so... He's talking about that, and, he, and that's essentially what he's saying in that verse. And so we've been delivered from sin and death by the mercy and grace of God. You guys know this truth. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, so there's the why. You want to know why God did what He did? Because of His great love. 
I wish I could explain that to you because I don't know how big God's love is. I don't know how the riches or the extent of his mercy. But I know the closest thing to love that I've ever felt physically comes from my wife, and she's not perfect. Sorry, but I mean, you're pretty close. She's not perfect, but she is less than the love that God has for me. She extends less mercy than what God has for me. So I don't know what that extent is. I'm just grateful that I serve a God that through Christ Jesus atoned for me so that I may no longer live in sin and death, but live in life. He says, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. The Bible says that he sent his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's a that's a that's a phrase that throws a lot of folks. Let me just tell you what that says. You're not bound by your physical life anymore. You've been lifted up with Christ Jesus. As Christ is at the right hand of God making intercession for, for you. Because of Christ Jesus, you shouldn't have to worry or live in your physical troubles and perils and all of those kinds of things. Be raised up as He is raised up. Yep. That's, a, that's a word for us, for the church, because we, we so get mired down in our situation. But at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of 10,000 years, it's not going to matter because our situation will have been overcome by the grace and mercy of God. A grace and mercy we can't quite comprehend, but we should be grateful for. Amen? And so He delivered us from that, raised us, and so now according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a new creature. So our nature should have changed. What we think of should change. What we do should change. All of these things. And so we need to focus and understand that I'm not who I used to be. You're not who you used to be. Man, I, I hear so many Christians just allow other people to beat them up because of what they used to be, because of what they did. Let me tell you, if it's covered or washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, if it's been carved out of you, it's gone. Amen? And so walk in that. Don't walk in somebody else's condemnation of you. For 8.1, Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, that's not some condemnation. That is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're new. Everybody all right? Yeah, good. I think we, we don't live in the fullness of who we are, raised up as we should be raised up, because we allow others to anchor us down with their opinion of us or their judgment of who we used to be. If we would stop and say, I'm not that anymore. You need to back up off me, bro. <laughs> Probably would say it like that, but you get the idea. We need to come to, a, to an understanding that what God says of us is more important than what others say of us. And so, we, because we are a new creature, our nature has changed. I'm not that anymore. But because I'm a new creature, I should be radically transformed as a new creature. Which is where Paul starts in verse 5. I'm going to start talking about that this week or next week where he says, 
Now, because of that, you need to do this and this and this and this. You need to show that you are a new creature. Paul's life demonstrated that he was radically transformed. If you'll read the book of Acts prior to his Damascus Road experience, Paul was present at the first stone, the first, the killing of the first martyr, Stephen, said that they laid their coats at his feet, that he went from town to town essentially looking for people of the way, that is Christianity, that he might drag them back to trial and persecute them. For his intent was to destroy the way until he had an encounter with Jesus. Listen, Paul was a murderer. Probably a mass murderer. A persecutor of the church. Intent on destroying what Christ died to give us. If there's anybody that we should be judging, it would be Paul. Except for Paul, like us, had our own Damascus Road experience. Jesus revealed himself. He accepted him as Lord. And then he spent the rest of his life, even to his death, submitting to the persecution that he was doling out so that Christ might be glorified. Here's the thing, and the thing that we miss most often. We look up at Paul and we go, man, I just want to be a super Christian like that. We should all be super Christians like that. Paul's life experience shouldn't be a spiritual anomaly. It should be all of us. All of us should be radically transformed if we believe what we say we believe is really real. The question is, do you? Do you believe that what you say you believe is really real? Do you really believe, and I want you to burrow down on this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born into the world, lived a perfect life to be your substitutionary atonement, substitutional atonement, died a horrific death on the cross, was buried, raised after three days, at the right hand of God, make an intercession for you, do you believe, really believe that that's true? Then your life should be the same as Paul's life. Because if you believe that's true, then you got to believe at the end of your life, it doesn't matter what you did other than glorify God and bring people to Him. You want to know what jewels are going to be in your crown? You want to know what, you, what you're going to have to present before the Lord? The people that you brought to the Lord. Because everything else is perishing and going away. The only thing that I can present before the Lord is, God, I've sacrificed my life to bring you these. So let's live our life like Paul lived his life. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's, that's the introduction. <laughs> Therefore, if, because you've been raised with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2, he says this, and it'll be my first point. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. To be raised is to have a, the mind of Christ, to have our mind on Christ. Well, what does that mean? That probably means a thousand things. I'm going to give you three quick things. The first thing, if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I need to have a single-minded mind like Christ had, not a double-minded mind. I need to be as focused in regard to who I am through Christ Jesus as Christ was in regard to doing God's will. 
Because the Bible says a double-minded man expect to receive, should expect to receive nothing from God. Now, that's in regard to prayer, but the, the truth is everywhere. No matter what you think you are, if you're double-minded in thinking it, you should expect to receive nothing from God. Jesus was single-minded. In James 1, 7, 8 says, For any man ought not to expect that he will receive anything. That's the verse I just read you. But Jesus intended to only do the will of the Father, according to John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is your will? Is it the will to do your will? Or the will to do the Father's will? Or is it your will to do your will when nobody's looking and the Father's will when you think people are watching you? Because that's a double-minded man, double-minded woman. We should be focused. The Bible says in Luke 9.51, it's, it's one of those verses that really get you. It says when it was time for him to go, when the time for ascension had come, Jesus said his face is flint towards Jerusalem. What does that mean? When the time came for him to go to the cross, he didn't waver. He set his face like flint, which means he set his face towards Jerusalem. Knowing exactly what was going to happen to him, he maintained a singular focus. Do we do that? Let me tell you, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you, and we're seeing it more and more. I fully suspect by the time... If I'm preaching for 20 more years, whether in this church or somewhere else or whatever, if I'm declaring the gospel on the corner, I believe within 20 years I'll be put in prison in the United States of America. The question is, are you willing to be put in prison for what you believe? Are you willing to be that singular-minded? Because that's what it is to have the mind of Christ, to bring people to the Father. Amen? That's a tough pill to swallow, man. But if we're going to have the mind of Christ, then let's have the whole mind of Christ, not just the half of it that's comfortable and convenient for us. So he says that he has the mind of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, no matter whether I'm here or in eternity, because, you know, Paul, Paul said, I'd prefer that I be in eternity, but for your sake, I'm going to stay here. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Whether here or there, whether dead or alive, I got one hope, one expectation, and he has one expectation of me, is that we be pleasing to him. Amen? That's a tough pill to swallow, man, because that requires all of me. And sometimes I don't give all of me. You know why I feel comfortable saying that up here? Not because I don't push into holiness, man. I do whatever, I do all I can. And I'm pursuing with everything I got. But I feel comfortable saying that because I know that I am chasing. And I know that in transparency, if I'm willing to be transparent, perhaps maybe you'll be willing to be transparent too. Perhaps you'll be willing to look at your own life and say, God, where do I fall short? But we don't only need single-mindedness of Jesus if we're going to have the mind of Christ. We need to have the wisdom of God. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 3.9 It 
to, to have the wisdom of God is to be opposed to the wisdom of man. It says, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. We don't need to have world's wisdom. Now, that's not saying that God's opposed to science and math and all this kind of stuff. Anything that is truth, God's on the side of. But it's when we allow what our truth to become subjective, as we talked about last week or the week before. It's when we allow our truth, even if it is the truth in science and our education and things we know, to cause us to be puffed up and proud. We're not displaying the mind of Christ. Christ was humble. Let us have this same spirit in us that was in Christ Jesus. And he was humble even to the point of the cross. So we should be what? We should be humble in what we know and pursue the wisdom of God. You guys have heard me say this, but wisdom isn't knowledge. People think that it is. When I pray for wisdom and revelation up here, I'm not praying for the knowledge of God only. I'm praying for the knowledge of God, the perspective of God, and the experience of God. You know what makes people wise? What they know, what they've seen, and what they've done. And since God is all-knowing, since God has an eternal perspective, a transcendent perspective, He sees us over our life, the life span of our life, and an eternal experience, that when I ask God for wisdom, when I'm seeking godly wisdom, I should be asking Him for all three of those things. God, give me an understanding that you have in regard to knowledge, experience, and perspective. Everybody all right? But we have to have the wisdom of God to do that. So how do we get wisdom? You ask. But what about this? You know, if, if the Bible says it, I don't have to ask God, is it true? I just have to be obedient to the fact that it's true. I have to walk as though I believe it's true. There's some crazy stuff in here. You guys have heard me talk about some of the crazy stuff in here. There is crazy stuff in here. Armies fighting themselves so that the army of God doesn't have to fight at all. That's crazy stuff. The sun standing still, that's crazy stuff. The Red Sea parting, that's crazy stuff. On and on and on again, that's crazy stuff. I talked to you Sunday about two guys singing in the bottom of a prison and God, and God shows up in an earthquake. That's crazy stuff. But you know what? It's true. So if you want wisdom, read your Bible. Pray and seek godly counsel. I just gave you the three ways to find wisdom. Read your Bible, pray, and seek godly counsel. You know, I can, <clears throat> I can read my Bible and pray, but without godly counsel, I'm liable to go in a ditch. I have to give people around me permission to tell me, hey man, you're being stupid right now. I mean, most of them aren't are gracious enough to not say that exactly, but I need to be able to, they need to know that they have permission to tell me, hey, you're not thinking right. What about this? Have you considered this? My wife, we have a running joke. She called my baby ugly all the time. I have an idea. That's my baby. Hey, we're going to do this. And she's all, oh, that's a good idea, but it's ugly for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And sometimes because she knows she has 
permission, as it were, to tell me those things, I go, yeah, I didn't think about that. Do you know the, the heart is evil? And so it can be manipulated. Just because there's a promise in this word doesn't mean it's a promise for you. I know that's going to blow your mind. It's a whole other lesson. But you've got to make sure in context it's a promise for you before you stand on it. But you know how the best way to determine whether or not it's a promise for you? Read your word, pray, seek godly counsel. And then finally, the third thing to make sure that we have the mind of Christ is operate in the Holy Spirit. Allow ourselves to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that man can't understand the word or be provoked to pray or know what to pray or maybe be too arrogant to receive godly counsel if they're not led by the Spirit in the first place. That's the blessing of being a Christian. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we can walk with the mind of Christ. Amen? So that's the, that's the first point that I would make to you. The second one comes out of verse 3. It says, For you have died, so we know, keep our mind on Christ. So he's telling us, listen, this is how you keep seeking. Keep your mind on Christ. Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I want you to focus on hidden. Because to be raised is to be hidden in Christ. We are hidden in Christ as we give our lives to to him by declaring him Lord according to the word of God. Just so you know, there's only one name on heaven and earth in which a man can be saved. That is the name of Jesus that we come to salvation. We, we are saved when we declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe it in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's Romans 10, 9. You guys know that. I say those things all the time. This is a work of grace through faith according to the word. And so we have to be hidden in Christ. But what does that mean? That means once we're saved, we're baptized into Christ. We are, should be hidden completely in Christ. When we do baptisms here, you guys, I, I try to take the time to explain. It's not, a, it's not an act that is necessary for salvation. It's an act to demonstrate that you have been saved. It's an act of obedience demonstrating that you have been saved. You are literally laying yourself down, being fully engulfed, and then being raised back up in Christ Jesus. And so I have taken literally my, or not literally, but spiritually, I have taken off my physical self, and I have put on my spiritual self. That is Christ Jesus. I should look like Christ Jesus as I'm hidden in Christ Jesus. Amen? Because we have, we should walk around in the robes of righteousness. That is what it means to be, to be hidden in Christ. Are you hidden in Christ? Let me ask you a question. When people look at you, who do they see? Do they see you or do they see Jesus? If somebody hasn't told you, Man, there's just something different about you than who you used to be or whatever. I would ask, is there really something different about you? Because people shouldn't see you anymore. That's one of the reasons why I think Angela and I were called back to this city. Because when we were here, man, I was unsaved heathen. I was, I was good at being a heathen. And everybody here knew me as a heathen. 
But when I came back, having been saved, planted the church, we had people show up here that said, man, we heard you were pastoring a church. And I just wanted to see the craziness that was Jim Kubik preaching because they couldn't believe it. But after a while, what do they say? Most of them say, well, you're, you're definitely a different person than I knew you as. You know why? Because I struggle. I, I strive, not struggle. I strive towards being hidden in Christ, fully encapsulated in the righteousness of God, being holy as he is holy. Amen? And so we should do the same thing. Are you doing the same thing? Are you allowing yourself to be hidden in Christ Jesus? Do you have the mind of Christ? And have you allowed yourself to be hidden in Christ Jesus? Man, I want people to say, man, that, that guy there, I don't know what happened to that guy, but he ain't who he was 15 years ago, 17 years ago. Because you know why? Because then I get to say, yeah, let me tell you why. I've been hidden in Christ Jesus. I probably wouldn't say it like that because they're not going to understand that verbiage. But I'd say, because I had a face-to-face -face encounter with a God that loved me enough to send his son Jesus to die for me. And he sent that same son to die for you too. Amen. So we've been hidden in Christ. And so we should walk like we've been hidden in Christ. Romans 13, 13 and 14 says this, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on. means be hidden in. Wrap yourself up in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Amen? I'm not asking you to do anything the Bible didn't ask you to do. In Galatians, we hear something very similar. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, man, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, act like, act like a Christian. But don't just act like a Christian, be a Christian. And then finally, in verse 4, it says this, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you, also be, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. So to be raised is to be revealed in Christ. What does that mean? It means Christ is coming back for us. John, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But know that when He appears, that is when He is revealed, he will be like, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. There's going to be a point in our future where we're going to be revealed with Christ Jesus, see Him as He is, and be perfect in the presence of that which is perfect. And so Paul's trying to tell them, listen, I'm about to give you some stuff. I'm about to tell you the truth. But first, before I do in these verses, know 
that you've been raised in Christ, that you should have the mind of Christ, that you've been raised, that you've been hidden in Christ, and that hidden in Christ, you will ultimately be revealed in Christ. That should comfort us, because the world is the worst, you know. Uh, as twenty years of law, Mike, Mikey will tell you, still in law enforcement, the world's upside down. People are crazy. They need us to know who we are so that we can tell them who they could be in Christ Jesus. Amen?